This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Jen Timmerman, Division Director of Revenue Cycle at CHI Health. Jen, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Now, I know we have a lot to talk about. There's so much happening in healthcare, and especially thinking about some of the financial challenges within the healthcare space today. But before we dive into my questions, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been with um, Healthcare Revenue Cycle in a variety of roles for the last 15 years. Um, I started working as a registration uh, person back in the day um, at a hospital here in Omaha. Um, and I just kind of have had great opportunities to work in a variety of roles. Um, from billing to different coding positions, uh, and overall just different roles within Revenue Cycle. So I'm super excited uh, to join you today because I think it's a really exciting time in healthcare. Even though it's a little bit of a scary time, it's very exciting as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I can tell just from our conversation that you're really passionate about what you do and especially um, how you're helping the healthcare system on the Revenue Cycle side. So what really drives that passion? What do you love about your job? So when I first started in healthcare, I really wanted the clinical side of the house. I really felt like, you know, what I could do, uh, anything I could do to help our patients or serve our communities was really important to me. And as I kind of worked through um, clinical trainings and different things, I really recognized that we had a major gap in healthcare around the revenue cycle or the financial aspect of our patients' care. And so that really prompted me to look at revenue cycle. And the more I dug into it and the more I had opportunities to really explore that, um, I realized that that was a huge um, um, area that we could bridge the gap for our patients and really make a difference to those that we serve and to our communities that we serve. So for me, that's what keeps me going is the impact that we can have on our patients and our communities that we serve. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much again for being here on the podcast today. Now, what are some of the opportunities and headwinds that you have your eye on right now? What's really top of mind for you? Right now, I think the biggest thing is really the PAG ending and that impact that it's going to have on our telehealth services. You know, when the pandemic hit us three years ago, which is hard to believe it's been three years, um, we really uh, quickly implemented telehealth services. We already had some practices in our uh, critical access locations, but we really had to expand and be able to rapidly respond to our patients' needs. And so with that, you know, we took some of those waivers and we implemented uh, telehealth services in a variety of different uh, specialties and locations. And so really understanding with the PAG ending, what does that mean not only to our patients, Patients, but to our providers and how do we educate our providers and our operational leaders as well as our finance friends on the impact that it's going to have potentially on reimbursement and on overall number of visits and things like that. You know, patients have gotten very um, acquainted with having telehealth services and maybe not having to come into the office as often for certain things. And so it's really important that we understand that and we educate our patients, providers, um, and our operational leaders and finance leaders accordingly so that we're prepared for that change as it's going to be happening very very rapidly. Even though there's phases of the PAT ending, you know, there's changes that are coming effective uh, with the change in May, and then again um, in 2024 and then in 2025, I think it's important that we understand what all of those changes look like and then we're prepared for those. Obviously, we know like with anything with the PAG and the pandemic, uh, things are not always what they first appear. And so um, I'm sure that there'll be changes that will come out about the 2024 and 2025 changes as uh, different lobbyists get their hands on some of those um, changes and the real impact that it will have on patients when we start to think about not allowing audio only or um, reducing the locations that we're able to provide telehealth services to. So for me, that's a huge one. Um, and then just watching the commercial payers, how are they going to react to the end of the PAG? 
CHC, you know, CMS has been, I would say, somewhat forthcoming about what's happening um, and have put together some great documents and resources, but we haven't heard a ton yet for our commercial payers, so really watching what that will do from their perspective, because prior to the pandemic, most of our commercial payers weren't paying for telehealth services. Um, so really watching what they do and how they're going to react and then, of course, like any other health system, really looking at the staffing challenges. I mean, since the great uh, resignation, we have really struggled to keep our, our teams together, uh, find the right people that we need for the right coding positions and right AR follow-up positions. And we've seen various trends over the last year, year and a half, where, you know, for a while it was coding and charge entry that we were really struggling to keep. And now we're actually seeing more AR follow-up staff uh, look for different opportunities. And some of that, you know, I think comes down to, you know, burnout. There's been so much that has happened over the last three years. And I think people are burnt out from all the change and overtime and, and things like that. So how do we engage the staff that we have, but also how do we create the next generation of revenue cycle professionals uh, to help lead us into the future, I think is a huge area of opportunity for us that I have my eyes on. Wow, absolutely. There's a lot there and, and you know, really a lot to think about. And I, I wanted to follow up on that last point you made in terms of some of the AR talent and, and the pipeline you have going through. What do you see as being really essential for the next generation of leaders and, and team members that you uh, want to bring on? Are, are there any skills or um, additional, I guess, things that you're looking for as you're trying to build through your pipeline and really um, promote the next generation of leaders? Yeah, absolutely. So I think for me, what I am having my eye on is I really want them to be well-rounded, like have an understanding not just of AR, but have an understanding of the financial clearance process, the registration, the scheduling, the coding, really get them an opportunity to see the revenue cycle as a whole. And so we're working on educational opportunities for our current staff members that we can offer throughout all staff meetings. But then I've also partnered with a university here in uh, Bellevue uh, to help create kind of the next generation of education that we can do that's really much more hands-on. And here's how we're applying the concepts in healthcare to day. Um, and I think that that will really help us be successful in drawing out that next generation. You know, people don't really set out and say, oh, I, I want to grow up and be a revenue cycle person. That's really not something that you hear me talk about what kids want to be when they grow up. But it's such a fun and exciting opportunity, and it's a great role, and it comes with great responsibilities. So really making sure that we are bringing in well-rounded uh, Staff, but also giving them opportunity to grow and advance, I think will be really huge for us in developing that next generation of revenue cycle professionals. That's great to hear. And I wanted to circle back with you as well in thinking about the PHE ending. And I know you talked a lot about some of the telehealth services, how meaningful that is to patients, especially in rural areas, and then the organization too. When you look at the potential reimbursement for some of that ending or, or decreasing from commercial payers and that kind of thing, how is the health system planning around that and really thinking through the financial ramifications for it? Is there anything that um, you're planning for, I guess, in the event that some of that revenue streams will be drying up? I think, I think that that's a really big question that we're still working through, to be quite honest with you. You know, as we dive in and really try to understand what does this mean, the timing of all of it, you know, compared to what our volumes were when the pandemic first hit, our virtual volumes probably are not as high as they were, but it's still such a critical piece. And we have, you know, providers that are covering, you know, our license in other states and so they can help cover um, other states that uh, CHI has uh, facilities in. And so that's amazing. 
So just monitoring that and really understanding the timing of the impact, but then why we're doing that, also looking at other areas that maybe we um, can step into. So looking at making sure that we're offering all of the uh, like transitional care management, chronic care management, um, do we have our cash-based services set up appropriately? So we're capturing all the revenue and all the work that our providers and our care teams are doing today uh, to help kind of not necessarily offset that, but make sure we're not leaving anything on the table. And then also just looking at, you know, conversations with our payers around, you know, making sure that our reimbursement is what it should be. Uh, looking, our payer strategies team is doing a really great job of looking at our payer contracts and making sure that we are, um, at the best rate that we can be. And so I think that that is an opportunity uh, for all health systems to kind of pause and say, are we truly identifying within the patient's medical record all the great things that our care teams are providing and are we capturing those and billing for those appropriately? And so we're going through some of those things right now to make sure that we're not missing anything. And I don't know if that will necessarily offset all of the telehealth, but I think it's a great start to make sure that we're not leaving any revenues on the table. That makes a lot of sense and it's really helpful to hear and understand how you're thinking through all of that because I know so many other healthcare organizations are going through the same thing. Now, I'm wondering too, you know, how are you thinking about growth and adding value to CHI going forward? I, I know like we have been talking about, there are some significant challenges, but still you have to keep your eye on what's coming through and, and how to grow and develop and really be um, continuing to add value throughout this challenging time. So I'd love to hear from your perspective, what that means for you. For us right now, we're really looking at aligning our workflows. So, you know, that whole thing of, you know, we've always done this, so we have to keep doing it, you know, really getting out of that mindset and making sure that, you know, we understand that we can't do what we've always done and think that we're going to be successful um, in this new era of healthcare. We have to really think outside of the box. We have to stop the duplicative efforts of touching the same account 15 times because when this person has the modifier, but this person has the charge and that person does this, and really looking at how do we streamline our workloads? How do we make the systems that we have today uh, work for us the best that they can? But then also, are there other technologies and, and systems that we need to work with to really really bring things together and make sure that we're optimizing um, the staff that we have, that we are optimizing the systems that we have, and that we're also looking for those good partners to help us in places maybe we don't have a tool or resource for that just yet. So I, I think it's really stepping back and saying, okay, we can't come at this the same way we've always done it. We really have to come at this with an open mind. You know, I tell my team all the time, open mind, open heart. Be prepared to, you know, call each other out. Be prepared to call me out. Be okay questioning the norm because if we don't, we won't survive what's happening in healthcare. And I think that that's true for all organizations. If you keep doing the same thing that you did, you know, I think 15 years ago when I started to now, you just won't be successful. And then you're not able to serve your patients in the communities the way that you want to. And ultimately, we're all here to do that. We're here to take care of our patients and the communities that we serve in. So um, for me, it's really consolidating our teams, looking at how do we bring everybody together underneath one umbrella with standardized workflows, um, and then making sure that we are just not we're not doing those duplicate efforts where we don't need to, where it's not absolutely necessary. So I'm really excited to dive into that and really hear from our, our teams too, because you know the folks that are in the day-to-day -day operation, they see things and they can really help expand our knowledge as leaders and make sure that we're looking at the right things and help us address some of those duplicate um, efforts that we have. So I'm excited for that. That's great to hear and really is such a, a fascinating mantra. I love that open minds and open hearts in order to really 
provide that feedback and uh, be very candid with, within your team and team members in, in the organization. I can imagine that's not always an easy change for um, everybody culturally, but it really can make a big difference when you think about the organization as a whole. Absolutely. It, it, and it really has changed, you know, the leader's approach to each other. You know, you know that you, there's no um, harm in bringing something to someone's attention. So if you notice a work cue is like way out of whack, you can come to that leader that's over that work queue and say, hey, you know, I was looking at aging and I noticed there's all of these claims holding for, you know, an enrollment issue. Is that really an enrollment issue? Have you been able to follow up on that? And it really helps build the bonds between the leaders, but it also helps us look at things from a different perspective because sometimes when you do the same thing every day, you get stuck in this rut of, oh, I've got to just monitor this work queue and i got to look at it this way. But when someone that does coding looks at your enrollment work queue, they might give a different perspective and you might see something that you missed. So it's really exciting to see those relationships and those bonds come together. That is amazing to hear. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, I, I, I know that um, organizationally, it seems like there's definitely a great culture there. And as we've talked a little bit about thinking through some of the challenges that are happening today, could you talk through what is one risk or investment that's still worth making this year um, even though there are challenges and a lot of change happening already? I think, you know, for us, one area uh, that I'm excited about and really hoping that we're able to do is really looking at AI um, and then optimization of our current uh, systems. I really feel like the more we can make the system do for us and automate things, the more successful we're going to be. You know, it solves that problem problem of the staffing shortage that we have and the crisis that we're in. You know, if we can't get uh, someone to follow up on authorizations, can we get AI that can help with that? If we can't get someone to follow up, um, you know, an AR, can we get AI to follow up on those claims? I think that there's so many um, opportunities there. I think there's opportunities even within, you know, the current build of the edits and the rules that we have for coding and AR to really help us be more successful, to help reduce those touches. And so for me, it's really that risk is really looking at the AI, looking at the optimization, and I don't necessarily see it as a risk. I see it more as, you know, an investment in our future and making sure that we are successful and that we can withstand the test of time with everything coming at us. That's a really great point, and I know so many different industries, but healthcare, for sure, is looking at ways to bring in that technology, the AI, and figure out how to use it to augment the teams that they have. Has the team been pretty receptive to using some of these tools and materials to boost their performance or, or do some of the things that, um, you know, the AI can do so that they can work to the top of their abilities? What's that transition been like and where do you see kind of that right mix of AI and human touch? I think the teams are very open to it. You know, they're feeling like every organization, you're overwhelmed. There's a lot of change. There's a lot of things that happen that have happened with billing from our, you know, our payers have changed their minds on things. Um, understandably so. How we submit things has changed. How we function daily has changed. How our systems operate has changed. Um, so I think that they're looking and excited about how do we optimize the system to get it to work smarter so that we don't have to work you know, constantly touching the same thing over and over again. And I know I sound like a broken record saying that, but I hear that frustration every day from my teams. I see it, you know, in the work queues. Even when I, you know, helped out in the work queues, I've seen that same um, duplicate effort that really is it's frustrating. So I think for our teams, they're very open to it. They're very receptive to it. I think the right mix is making sure that um, 
we are able to still have that human interaction, that human touch with our patients and those that we serve. But any of that work that really doesn't require, you know, gentlemen to call or, you know, Susie to call in to that payer, that's really where we need to look at how can we uh, solve for that staffing crunch, have some AI step in and do that. We don't lose the human touch with the face-to-face patient interactions or lose the um, the human touch of being able to make sure we have accurate information, but we can use the AI to help follow up on that claim or to confirm that they received the auth or, you know, those little things that don't require us to do it, but they take so much time out of our day when we have to make, you know, a phone call and follow up on 15 claims, you know, it, I think we'll make that uh, be the right mix there. Perfect. That makes a lot of sense and, you know, it is really helpful to understand and think through. Before we wrap up our discussion here. I, I want to talk to you about leadership as well and future growth. We've talked a lot about some of the changes that are happening in healthcare and really will need a lot from leadership in organizations. So where do you see some of the best opportunities for growth and development in the future? What do leaders need in order to be successful as healthcare changes and evolves? You know, I really think they need the right attitude. I think it really comes down. Yeah, you know, we can teach everybody anything in revenue cycle. Like I always say when we're hiring someone, we can teach you revenue cycle. But if you don't have the right attitude and you don't have the right desire and drive to really dig in and dive in and investigate things and a passion to, you know, do what's right for our patients that we serve and for our communities that we serve, you just won't be successful. So I think it's, uh, you know, leaders – when I think about like leaders of the future, it's being well-rounded. It's having an understanding of the front to the back of revenue cycle. It's having an understanding of what our operational and our care teams go through. You know, we can't sit siloed in revenue cycle and say, well, nobody understands us. You know, we're, we're the only ones, you know, going through things. No, it's everyone in healthcare. So really having an understanding and appreciation for every aspect of that patient's visit from the time that they schedule to the time they see the doc and they register all the way through to their final, you know, bill, making sure that we have an understanding and appreciation for that. I also think it will be much more important in the years to come for us to have a greater appreciation and understanding of the actual finance side. You know, when you think about it, revenue cycle and finance, yeah, we're typically underneath the same umbrella, but we do very different functions. And so being able to from a Rev Cycle Leader perspective, being able to understand and predict what our finance leaders are going to need in order to, you know, forecast and be successful in budgeting, I think will be really critical. Um, feeding them more information than the norm that we've done, you know, talking about AR days and aging and things like that, but being able to feed them more um here's where we think we're going, here's where we see risk, here's where we see reimbursement challenges, so that they're aware and they're prepared. And then doing the same thing with our operational leaders, making sure that we understand um, where are they going, what are they working towards, so that the goals and the things that we're uh, focused on in revenue cycle align with where we're going from an operational standpoint, so we don't feel disjointed, but we're aligned and we're bridging that gap between rev cycle and operations and finance, our providers and our patients, so that it's just very cohesive unit, I think will be very important. So when I think about leaders of the future, being strong and building relationships and being okay to take uh, the feedback, you know, positive or, you know, maybe constructive feedback where we need to look and evaluate things, I think will be really important for those future leaders. That's fantastic to hear. Jen, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really amazing discussion and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you so much for having me.